Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Rodney Loper is president of God's Bible College in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is a sermon that he preached in 2016 at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio. It's titled, Hope for the Next Generation. I know you will enjoy this excellent message. And on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. Thank you, Brother Sankey, and it's a great joy and honor to be here tonight. Thank you, committee, uh, for the invitation. I have discovered that there are so many committees associated with the IH Convention, I'm not sure which committee to thank or which committee to send hate mail to. I, I'm not sure, and, uh, but we're here and uh, thank the Lord for his help and his presence in the service this morning or this evening. I was uh, getting this uh, apparatus around my head just a little while ago. I'm used to wearing uh, an ear mic where I preach and, and when I preach, but this thing, it, it, it gathers you on both ears and the only thing it lacks is a bit between my teeth. And uh, I sh probably shouldn't have said that. Those fellows will figure that out and uh, get one for the next guy tomorrow night for the same year. <laughs> Oh, my. In one of the meetings today, uh, Brother Daryl Stetler told us a story about a fellow who was at the doctor's office, and another fellow walked in and sat down beside him, and the first fellow just was holding his stomach saying, Oh, I hope I'm sick. I hope I'm sick. I hope I'm sick. Finally, finally, the second fellow could stand it no longer, and so he turned to him and said, Why do you hope you're sick? He said, Oh, it'd be awful to feel this bad without having something wrong. <laughs> kind of feel that way tonight. Oh, my. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to the book of Titus. The book of Titus chapter 2 is where I want to focus our attention for just a little while tonight, the book of Titus chapter 2, we're going to begin looking at verse number 11. The book of Titus chapter 2, and we're going to begin looking at verse number 11. If you've paid attention to the theme of this convention, you know that at least the second part of the theme is hope for the next generation. I don't have to tell you that we are in the state of transition here in our movement. Brother Sankey 
is in transition from the leadership of IHC. He's stepping down after a hundred years or so of being the, being the general secretary. Well, not quite a hundred, right? Almost 60, 61 years he's been involved with IHC. I see that conferences are in transition. I notice denominations in transition. Some schools are in transition. Some missions organizations are in transition. And the the next generation of leaders are taking their new positions. And for the older generation, I'm not in that class, but for the older generation, I am sure that it has to be a terrifying time to watch as you move from a position of power to a position of wisdom or a position of influence. And now all of a sudden you're out of the loop. Now all of a sudden you're on the back burner. Now all of a sudden people are not looking to you for uh, leadership in that area. It's the next generation that is taking over and are moving forward. And I know that times like these are are frightening. They're frightening for me. I'm in that second tier where now I'm experiencing the reins for the first time. And I'm experiencing leadership positions for the first time. And I have to be candid with you tonight that it drives me. It drives me to the place of prayer saying, oh God, I don't have wisdom. And I don't have what it takes to be in these positions. And so it's frightening for me as well. And it's in these times of transitions that much can be lost. One generation hands the baton to the next generation, and if we're not careful, we can lose some of the emphasis, and uh, we can lose some of, the, some of the ideals that we have held dear. We can lose some of the momentum that has marked us as a, a movement. We're in transition, and it can be frightening. For others, it's a brand new day. For others, they're ready for leadership. They're ready for transition. They believe that the new day has dawned. The challenge before them is great, but there are rivers to swim and there are mountains to climb and there are battles to fight and they're excited about the prospect. And tonight I have to admit admit as I stand before you that, that I have a mixture of emotions I have a a sense in which I bemoan the fact that there's so much transition, but I also want you to know tonight that there is hope for the next generation. We don't have to hang our heads and we don't have to tuck our tails between our legs. We don't have to take the, the belief that God is departing off the scene with some of our senior saints. No, 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 my friends. There is a God and he is on the throne and he is not going to abandon us. Hallelujah. Now it's going to require... It's going to require some of us young fellows and ladies as we assume positions of leadership to make sure that we are connected to the source, to make sure that we're living as we ought to live, to make sure that we're spending time in the Word, to make sure that we're spending time in the place of prayer. Yes, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the prospects of, of this movement. I'm, I'm excited not because, not because of the individuals who are rising to leadership, 
Although I like them and I'm happy about many of the changes, but I'm excited because we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as I look back down the halls of history, I see a God who has remained consistent. I see a God who has remained present. I see a God who has remained available to every generation that sought him. I don't know what that does for you tonight, but on this Tuesday night of IHC, it produces hope in my world. Hope that God will be with us. Hope that God will guide us. Hope that there's still kingdom work to be done. When Brother Plank called me and asked me to speak in this service tonight, immediately, Immediately while I was still on the phone, the Lord reminded me of this passage of Scripture, and I felt, I felt in that moment that this was the passage of Scripture that I was to speak on tonight. Hope for the next generation. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, look at verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us to himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Father, would you help us tonight as we preach your word? We ask tonight that you would give clarity. We ask tonight that you would help us to have your mind and your heart. Give us ears to hear. Give us wills to be obedient to your truth. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. First of all, in this passage of Scripture, I want us to notice that we have hope in this generation for salvation. Did you see that in verse number 14? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. As I read down through the pages of God's word, I see over and over again pictures of hope. It starts in the garden of Eden. Yes, man fell. Yes, man sinned. But in that moment, God says that my seed is going to crush the serpent's head. And beginning right there, in Genesis chapter 3, we see a theme of hope that is sprinkled throughout the entire Old Testament. You go to Mount Moriah and you see Abraham as he's there, ready to plunge the knife into his son's chest. And then we hear the voice of God speak to him and that he is going to provide himself a lamb. You go to the book of Isaiah and you read the prophecies about the coming Messiah and you see a beautiful portrait of a king who's going going to come as a suffering servant and it tells us that we're going to know him because he'll take the broken reeds of society and instead of casting them aside he'll take them up and fashion them into something useful again he'll take the smoking flax that have wasted their their life burning and he'll uh, take that smoking wick and he'll rekindle it again and make something new about it what does that show us tonight it shows us that in the midst 
In the midst of the Old Testament, there's a glimmer of hope that there's coming a day where we can be or could be redeemed from our sins. You go on in the Old Testament, you get to the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is not just about a a wayward prophet seeking to do his own thing. Yes, it's that, but it's the story. It's the story of a God who looks at a wicked Nineveh and he says, I've got a message of hope for you. I've got a message of deliverance for you. Though you're sinful, though you're doing your own thing, though you're going your own way, I've got a prophet named Jonah that I'm going to send to you to preach deliverance to that wicked city. I read the book of Jonah. I walk away. I can't help but have a spirit that's buoyed a little bit, that's, that's bolstered a little bit. Why? Because I get a glimpse of a God who's offering hope to a hopeless kingdom. Not only is there a biblical hope, but I want you to know that as I look at the word, there's a personal Hope. Did you catch the opening verse that we read tonight? For the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's a personal hope, isn't it, friends? It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's not just for those who are raised in the church. It's not for those who are a part of a special family. No, no. The grace of God is available to all mankind. Hallelujah. It reached into my world. I was raised in the church, Franklin Bible Methodist Church, just down the road. I attended church every, every time the doors were open, almost. We lived about 40 minutes away. And I was there most every time that we had service. But friends, I, I, want, I want to pause there long enough to remind us that no amount of proper parenting can negate the effect of the sin principle in someone's heart and life. You still have a free moral, you still have a free will. I was raised in the church. I did everything that was expected of me. I could roll in the church and no one would have any idea. But behind the scenes, I was doing my own thing. Bringing my parents to shame. They didn't know this. They're here tonight, but they didn't know what I was doing. And I was out living the riotous life, doing everything imaginable. But in 1996, in a fall revival, Mark Cravens was was the evangelist. I gave my heart and life to Jesus. He transformed my world. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that hope reached into my world and it changed me. Oh, I thank God that it reached into the world of the Ninevites. I thank God that it reached into the world of the apostles. And I thank God that as I read church history, I see him move and work. And I thank God for how he moved in my parents' generation. Generation and Brother Sankey's generation, but I want you to know he's working in my generation and he's working tonight. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how you've spurned the grace of God. I want you to know tonight that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. What does that teach us? It teaches us of the universality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one person here tonight whom God doesn't love. There's not a person here tonight whose God's grace cannot reach. There's not a person who's done something so significant that they're outside of the scope of God's grace and God's mercy. Hallelujah. 
As I read the New Testament, I can come to no other conclusion. Whosoever will may come, for God so loved the world. Yes, God is in the business of transforming our personal world. He gave himself that he might redeem us. Friends, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, there's not a person here tonight beyond the grace of God. The very reason you're here tonight, if you don't know him, is God's working God's working in your life. He's wooing in your life. He's doing spiritual surgery on your spiritual taste buds to make you hungry enough to come into this assembly tonight. It's a personal hope. Hallelujah. If I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that every single person here had an opportunity, I'd hang up my suits and my ties and I wouldn't preach again. Why preach? But friends, that's not the story of the New Testament. The grace of God is at work. If I could call you individually to the platform tonight and have you give your story, we'd hear hear stories about how God reached into your world and transformed your world, and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus tonight. Why? Because the grace of God worked in your life. Hallelujah. Personal hope. Pastors, I want you to know there's pastoral hope. There's hope for your church. All's not lost. God's not on vacation. He's not a distant deity that spun this thing into existence and then walked away. There's hope for your church. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the turmoil and the conflicts and the burden that you're carrying tonight. But I want you to know that there's a hope of salvation for your local church. You may have come to IAC tonight. You may be discouraged. You may be despondent. But I want you to know that God is still on the throne. He's still working. He's still moving. He's in the business of reaching our world. Hallelujah. I challenge you as pastors we need to go to our community and offer hope we need to go to our communities and be the beacon of God's goodness and God's grace it may mean that you have to get out of your lazy boy it may mean you have to get off the internet it may mean you have to leave home but we have the greatest news in the world to share in a world that is filled with hopelessness we have something to offer them that gives them hope Lisa Whitcomb she sits on the second row at Hope Sound Bible Church right front and center First time she came to church, she drove in the parking lot and she was afraid to come in. Sat out there, halfway through service, she says, I left. She came back the next day, it's Monday, I'm in my office, she walks in, she said, are you the preacher? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I came to church yesterday. I said, I didn't, I didn't see you. She said, no, 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 I didn't come in. I said, oh, why not? She said, I was afraid. She said, I've done so much wrong. And she started down a trail of all of the things that she has tried to fill her heart, her emptiness. She's tried relationships. She has two 
beautiful children. They're out of wedlock. She tried drugs. She's tried everything. She's sitting in my office. She's crying. She's weeping. And in a moment, she caught her breath and I said, Lisa, why don't you try Jesus? You know what she said? She didn't say, oh, not right now. No, no, no. She said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and I led her in the sinner's prayer. You say you can't get saved leading somebody in the sinner's prayer. Oh, yes, you can. And Lisa gave her heart to Jesus there in my office and she you wouldn't know any difference between her and any other person in this convention tonight why because because friends that hope reached into her world that hope reached into her darkness that hope reached into a despondent girl's heart and she gave her heart and her life to Jesus and she's a new person in Christ tonight why because hope was offered to her Went to a restaurant in Oklahoma City every morning. The name of the restaurant was Buffalo Grill. You get a cup of coffee, you had to make sure lipstick from the last person wasn't on the side. You just turned it around. It wouldn't do any good to get another one. It'd have it too. Got into that restaurant and there was a table of old people, elderly people, more mature people. He's behind me. I have to be careful. I started being accepted by that group. And across the table from where I sat was an old, old cantankerous man. Nobody liked him. Nobody in the group liked him. Everything in life was dour. Everything was negative. Everything was just, you you just didn't want to talk to him. I remember on occasion I'd order my breakfast It'd come, he'd reach across with his dirty fork and grab food off my plate and just eat it. I started visiting him in his home. Sitting there talking, he came to church. I remember God came on the scene at the little church. People were in the altar. And I was praying, walking back and forth praying. And I looked down the center aisle. And Jack had his hand raised trying to get my attention. Well, he aggravated me, and so I ignored him. Made another round and came back, and Jack's flagging me down again. And so I went back to him a little frustrated. I'm praying. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing the Lord's work here. And he said, Preacher, I want what they're getting. Can you pray with me? I said, Oh, yes, let's do it right here. I'm going to let Jack to the Lord right back there. He was a changed individual, not just, not just a cliche day to night or, or night to day and old to noon. No, he was a brand new creature. His attitude changed. He went into the restaurant. They said, what happened to him? He was one of the best testimonies we had going from that church from that point forward. Why? Why? Because the hope of salvation reached into a sin-darkened world and transformed it by his power, by his grace. Hallelujah. I was standing in the door three weeks ago, shaking hands as people left, and a young girl came up to me. She said, Preacher. I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, You don't know me. I said, I don't. She said, "Uh, I'm here by accident. 
I said, okay, that's great. Thank God. She said, no, no, I mean accident. She said, I was on Interstate 95. I was headed towards Indian Town Road. I missed my exit. The next exit, Hope Sound, seven miles, mind you. She got to that exit. She turned. Bridge Road is seven miles in to where we are. She said, I went to the beach. Somebody at the beach said, I needed to come to your church. So here I am. Well, hallelujah. And then she said, I'm searching for Jesus. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, I was raised Jewish. She said, I didn't buy into that. And so recently I moved to Chicago and joined a Hindu settlement. And she said, one night, she said, now, pastor, I'm earnest. I'm looking, I'm I'm looking for something. She said, one night while I was praying to who knows what, she said, Jesus appeared to me. Now I started getting nervous. And she said, you know what he said? I said, no. She said, do you know that verse you quoted in your sermon this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. I said, yes. She said, that verse was quoted to me in my prayer. She said, I'd never heard it before. And until you quoted it in your sermon, I didn't realize it was scripture. You say nonsense. Oh, I say it's the grace of God. I say it's the grace of God reaching into the heart of a young gal who's earnestly seeking after something that would satisfy. What am I talking about tonight? I'm talking about hope of salvation. I'm talking about a God who can reach into the world and God can transform people into new creatures. I'm reminded when I think of that, I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, And you hath he quickened together who were dead in your trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And he goes in in verse 4 and says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for with his great love he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins hath quickened us together with Christ. Hallelujah. And he's raised us up to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does that passage teach? It's the grace of God. Back in Titus in verse 11, again it says, For the grace of God, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And it's doing what? It's teaching them to deny ungodliness and teaching them to to deny worldly lust, to live soberly, to live righteously, to live godly. When are we to live that way? We're to live that way right now in this present world. Friends, I must remind you that that is what God's gift of salvation does. It doesn't leave you where you were. No, it transforms your world. Grace has changed the world that I'm living in. Gone the heavy burden of my sin. Why? Because hope came. Because hope transformed my world. There's hope for salvation. 
And then I see in this passage of scripture, hope for entire sanctification. It says, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now, some of you here tonight look right past that word purify and are hung up on that peculiar word. (laughs) Brother Sankey, this pulpit isn't nearly big enough when you're about to go where I'm about to go. Purity is about a heart transformation from the inside out. It's not latching on to a period of time and saying, I'm going to identify with the 30s or the 40s or the 1950s. Get a little quiet. Friends, I want you to understand tonight that there is nothing spiritual in being old-fashioned just to be old-fashioned. If being old-fashioned makes you spiritual or holy, there's some Amish settlements around that are right next to the pearly gates. It's okay. It's okay to look like you belong in the 21st century. Wow. I'm about to kill this IHC already. It's okay to look like you belong in the 21st century. It's okay to wear clothes that look nice. You don't always have to buy your clothes from a second-hand store. I do, but you don't always have to to be spiritual. Man, I better get over by that pulpit. It makes me feel better. You see, friends, the rub comes with holy living when what the world is saying is acceptable is contrary to the word of God. And I could spend an awful long time preaching right there about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for if any man love the world, doesn't have the love of the Father. And friends, you can, you can so fall in love with Jesus that it pushes out the love for the world. Let's not focus on the negative. Let's talk about falling in love with Jesus to win when there is a rub with society, when there is a rub with what's happening in our world, with what is popular or what is in style or what is trendy. When it violates the word of God, I have already settled it in my heart. I've already settled it in my life. I'm going with the word of God. I've said this in Hope Sound so many times, I'm sure they're sick of hearing it. But friends, it's time that we as holiness people, it's time that we as holiness people go to the word of God looking for application points, not loopholes.
It's time for us to go to the Word and say, Oh God, how can I apply apply this truth to my life? How can I apply this passage of Scripture to my life? Not how can I get around it? How can I edge away over here? No, no, no. Oh God, show me how to live. Reveal it to me. The issue is settled. I'm going with God's Word. Not playing games, not looking for loopholes. I'm looking looking for application points in my life. You see, friends, the point isn't your dress. The point is purity. And that purity, that purity, if it's not working in your life right now, there's something wrong spiritually. A quick survey, a quick survey of the New Testament will provide you with a wonderful description of what entire sanctification does, the hope of entire sanctification. In Acts chapter 1, it's a hope of an empowered life, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It'll give you the empowerment that you need to go out. It'll give you the empowerment that you need to go proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that he died for all mankind give you the power to share your testimony but it also is the hope of enablement in Acts chapter 2 the disciples spilled out of the upper room preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ did you see the transformation in Peter one that was denying Christ just a little while ago. Now he's out preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because something had happened in his heart and his life. Why? Because there in that upper room, the Holy Spirit came and purified their hearts. Friends, I believe with all of my heart what we need is a movement or not more standards and more rules or more whatever. What we need are men and women who have gotten to the point in their life where they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're yielded to His control. They're not living for themselves. They're not living according to their whims and their wishes. No, they have yielded themselves completely to His embrace. Getting to the point that you can say, as the songwriter said, all my hopes and dreams so grand, I've given them all to Jesus. My future, my longings, he holds in his hands. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. Hallelujah. Not only is this, does this hope produce empowerment and enablement, but this hope establishes Oh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture on holiness is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. That he might establish you. That he might establish you unblameable in holiness before God. That word established has the idea of being rooted and grounded to be made firm. Oh, friends, God wants to do that kind of work in your heart, in your life. If you're in and out and you're up and down, if you're always uh, being driven and tossed to and fro like the chaff in a breeze, I want you to know that God has an establishing work of grace that will keep you in the storms of life. God has something for you. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. 
Friends, that's a message we need to shout from the housetops. It's a message we need to proclaim. It's our message, the glorious message of entire sanctification that we can be free from all sin. Hallelujah. But I must remind you that entire in entire sanctification there is there is a death to yourself and i know that's not popular terminology in our circles any longer but friends there must come a point in our life where we surrender our wants and our desires and our hopes and our dreams, our everything, on the altar of complete consecration. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not my way. It's his. I've taken my hands. I've taken my hands off. You're in control. You dictate to me. You lead me. You guide me. It's your will that matters. It's like Jesus in the garden when he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's where we've got to be in life. It doesn't matter what I want. It matters what he wants. I love how Brother B.J. Walker says it. He says in this blessed second work, he says, God in your heart and life changes from being a resident to being the president and CEO. <laughs> He's in control. He's in charge. Hallelujah. And friends, I want you to know when he takes the throne, you're established. You're rooted in him. Oh, friends, I want you to know what happened to me. <laughs> the entire, the, the work of entire sanctification worked in my world. And it can work in your world. You say, why aren't you giving your illustration? Well, I don't want you to get caught up in how it happened to me. Doesn't matter how it happened to me. What has to happen is you've got to get to the end of yourself. And give it over to God. I have a friend here in the congregation tonight from Nebraska. There's not a hole in his church within two and a half hours of where he lives, and so he watches our services on the internet. Somewhere along the way, Rick started calling me. Oh, it was a nuisance at first. He'd call and he'd talk and he'd talk and he'd talk and he'd talk and he'd talk. But then he started burying his soul. Saying, saying to me, God's putting his finger on this area in my life. What should I do? I said, oh, Rick, the only way is to give it to God. He called me the next day. God's putting his finger on this in my life. I said, Rick, the only answer is to give it to God. Now, if you were to talk to him, you know what he'd say? He'd say, in that time period in my life, God was peeling an onion layer by layer by layer until he got down to the core of who I was. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? That this work of entire sanctification is a long, drawn-out thing? It doesn't have to be. But all too often, we're not ready 
to die to self. H. Horton Wiley, the great Nazarene theologian, said it this way. He says, it's entirely possible for a man to be dying for a long period of time, but there comes a moment in time in which he's dead. Now, I'm not, if you walk out of here saying, Pastor Loper saying you got to die like a yellow dog, you have missed the entire point of what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you've got to get to the point where you take your hands off the control center of your life. And how that looks for you is going to be different than how that looks for me. And how that affects your life and your testimony is going to look different than the way that it affected me in in my testimony. Why? Because it's a personal work. God knows exactly what he needs to do. He knows the exact surgery that he needs to perform in your life. Friends, what God is interested in is getting past the symptoms and getting to the source. No, it's not natural, but it's necessary if you're going to live a holy life. Jesus said, if you will be my disciple, let him come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's hope for salvation. There's hope for consistent living. And there's hope for the second coming. Look at it again with me, our passage. Looking for that blessed hope. I don't know about you, Brother Sankey, but I'm looking. I've got my eyes on the eastern sky, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day, friends. I'm longing for that day when Jesus Christ shall come. And this phrase, blessed hope, has become one of the most well-loved descriptions of the church's expectant return of our Lord. This hope has been present in every era of history within the church. In fact, this passage of scripture is a clear picture of the early church impatiently waiting for our Lord. Lord's return. Tonight you may be seated in the congregation. You say, oh, I've heard this so many times. It's so old. Why are you strumming that uh, that string again? Why? Because I believe that he's coming again. I don't know when he's coming again, but friends, I know what the word of God says, and I'm looking up. I expect him to come. We have that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again. I remember, I remember a time in my life when that produced fear. I remember going down into the basement of our home and that old furnace would kick on and I thought it was the Lord coming back. I don't know why I thought that. Forget the trumpet, it was the sound of a furnace for me. But I remember being terrified. I remember many conversions there on my pillow. Oh God, if you won't, if you won't come back tonight, I'll pray in the morning. But friends, I want you to know, while it produces fear in the heart of an unbeliever, it produces joy in the heart of a Christian. He's coming again. He's coming again. 
Oh, we live in a world that seems to be upside down. We live in a world where, where common sense no longer exists. We live in a world where the political system is as broken as we have ever seen. We live in a world where, where men are women and women are men. We live in a world that is totally upside down. And I want you to know, friends, that we're not living for this world. We are living for a different day. Yes, we have to be a part of this world. And yes, we need to live in this world. But I want to remind you that this is not our home. We are just pilgrims passing through to that eternal tomorrow. We have a blessed hope. And while I'll be discouraged if a certain person is elected president, I want you to know that the president doesn't produce hope for me. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in the word of God. My hope is in my soon coming king. And I'm looking forward to the day when he comes and he rescues and he redeems us and he translates us into that eternal city. Hallelujah. And do you have loved ones? I watched as the Cutlers were honored tonight for the sacrifice of their daughter. I want you to know, brother and sister Cutler, that we have a blessed hope of a grand reunion one of these days. Is your life marked by disease? I want you to know we have a blessed hope. Older person, is your body growing old and feeble? I want you to know we have a blessed hope. Are you tired of the bad news in this world? I want you to know tonight that we have a blessed hope. Are the cares of life pressing in on every side? I want you to know we have the blessed hope. Are you tired and weary? We have this blessed hope. Are you weary and well-doing? We have this blessed hope? Do you need to see the light at the end of your tunnel? I want you to know we have this blessed hope. Are you overwhelmed with your roles and responsibilities? Remember, we have this blessed hope. Hallelujah. I love the song. I love the song that Brother Gray led us in during congregational singing. When all around my soul gives way, is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, on this Tuesday night of Dayton Convention, I want you to know that our hope is not in Brother Sankey. Our hope is not in Brother Plang. Our hope is not in your pastor. Our hope is not in your president. Our hope is in the Lord. In an upside-down world, <laughs> in an upside-down world, that puts a little bit of a spring in my step, puts a smile on my face, because I know there's a hope of salvation. I've seen it. He did it for me. There's a hope of entire sanctification. I've seen it, Brother Rick. He's done it for me. And there's the hope of a soon coming king. Haven't seen it yet. But one of these days, one of these days, and it won't come soon enough, that eastern sky is going to roll back as a scroll. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. <laughs> hope. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Then he says, looking for that blessed hope 
and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That is where I put my hope tonight. Yes, in the middle of transitions, my hope is in the word of God. Bless his name. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Yeah.